This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I wanted to start off by a quote from N.T. Wright, a great theologian, great author, and it's on the screen behind me. It says this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Heaven on earth. How many of you have ever been in a situation in your Christian walk where you just want to be rescued from your circumstance? And the first thing out of your mind is, beat me up, Scotty. Right now. And God is literally saying, yeah, but if you're not there, then light cannot penetrate darkness. What does God want to do with us? What does resurrection life do to a city that's far from God? What does resurrection life do to a country that's far from God? We're in a country right now arguing and debating over whether we should legalize marijuana. And some people, especially generations that have gone before me, would be rolling in their graves if they heard that. We've seen different things that have come through politically in the last 10 years. And some of us look at it going, oh no, it's the end. This is awful. And I go, no, it's going to force those people that have enjoyed casual Christianity to get off their chairs and do something. Can you imagine that if every church in the world right now didn't have the 20-80 rule where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, and we flipped it? I'd like 100, personally. I'm, you know, I'm a little, I go for the sky, right? But think about this. When Jesus died and rose again, Resurrection Sunday came. He had a vision of a world that was dominated not by sin and darkness, but by light and healing and hope. And peace that is beyond description. That is why he came. That is why he died. That is why he rose again. Totally not in my notes, but that's for whoever. Okay, we're going to keep going. The Easter story, in essence, is about three basic things. It's about the unconditional love of the Father. It is about the unfathomable forgiveness of the Son. And it is about the unstoppable grace of the Holy Spirit. That can absolutely... Take someone's life, broken as it is, and make it whole. Make it have purpose. Make it see destiny. Amen? For the last six months, about six months ago, God dropped a, uh, a particular character in the Easter story in my lap, and I've literally been reading about this person. I've been studying this person. I've been praying about this person. And, and when God dropped it on my lap... I, i got to be honest with you, the first thing out of my mouth was, but what does this guy have anything to do with anything? And as I've been praying about it, as I've been literally reading into this and looking into it and praying about it, thinking about it, I've been landing on something, what I believe will touch your heart today. I want to start in Mark chapter 15. Um, If it's okay this morning, picture that we're still at Good Friday, because I'm going to get to Easter Sunday, but we're Good Friday to start with, Okay. In Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and it says, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. Can I say this morning that the enemy has made plans for you? And God has made plans for you. 
And somewhere in between, we've made plans for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we make plans for ourselves. The enemy makes plans. God makes plans. But aren't you grateful that when Resurrection Sunday came 2,000 years ago, that Jesus' plans trumped the enemy's? And Jesus' plans trumped your own. Brought a different perspective. Brought new meaning to what he has for your life. Goes on and it says, So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. I love his response. Brilliant, Jesus. Answers in a way that no one else can. You have said so. But, but I'm asking you. Oh, you've said so. Jesus replied, the chief priests accused him of many things. So verse 4, so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? Interestingly enough, he already did. He obviously didn't like his response. How many school teachers do we have here in this, in this room right now? How many have ever asked a question of your school and they didn't answer the way you wanted them to, so you ask it again? Pilate didn't like his answer, so he asked it again. What does he say? Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. I can guarantee you right now, every other person that had ever come to that, that, that place with Pilate in the past came with a whole line of defense. Well, you know, I have been wrongly accused, and I don't know why I'm here, and all these people have put me here, and I never did anything, and I was never caught doing anything, and there's no video to catch it. No one had a cell phone to catch what happened on the United Airways flight, whatever. Oh, sorry, I, I digress. But no one saw it. It wasn't posted on YouTube. Pilot goes, off with his head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That would be the response. Jesus stands there. In the peace of God. And didn't defend himself. You know, I learned about 20 years ago that trying to defend yourself never works. I let God be my defense now. Because when God's your defense, he knows how to unravel the lies of the enemy. When you try to defend yourself, you're always defending your own person, your reputation, all these things. And God is simply saying, if you can trust me, I'll be your defense. Just be silent before your accusers. It's okay. They can't do anything to you anyway that I wouldn't allow. So just trust me. Gets to the end of verse 5 and then something happens. The first photobomb in the New Testament happens right here. Somebody jumps into the picture that makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why he's in the picture, but somehow he got, he got photobombed in the picture by running in behind and making some crazy face and they took a picture right then and there when Jesus and Pilate are talking and then a third guy shows up. His name's Barabbas. Most of us don't know much about Barabbas. Most of us really don't care much about Barabbas because the way that we view Barabbas is not very positive. We don't really think he has anything to do with anything to do with our lives. How can he affect our lives? But as I've been thinking about Barabbas for the last six months, I've realized Barabbas has a lot to say about our lives. He has a lot to say, even though he didn't really say anything, scripturally. But it goes on in Mark 15, verses 6 to 15, it says this, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner 
whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Whoa. Can I say from personal experience, any decision I've ever made to satisfy the crowd has backfired. Okay, ready? Are you, all those that are married, right? Wives, you're about ready to be really, really excited from this moment on. Ready? If Pilate listened to his wife. He wouldn't be in this predicament. Because she said to him in chapter before, this is a holy man of God. Don't do anything to him. And she did what a lot of us men do from time to time, which is have selective hearing. We heard it on Tuesday. We didn't hear it on Monday. If you said it Tuesday, I would have heard you, right? I listened better on Tuesday. Tuesday's my best day for that. But no, you had to do it on Monday. If he listened to his wife. But it says this, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barnabas or Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, we don't know much about this guy Barabbas. We really don't. There's only really four things that the Bible talks about Barabbas. And interestingly enough, in this particular story, at the end of Jesus' life, is the only time he's mentioned. So there's no time beforehand and there's no time after that this guy's even talked about. It's just literally in the, uh, the, the three Gospels where it talks about Barabbas in the story. So we learned four things according to the Gospels. Number one is this. He was a notorious prisoner, according to Matthew 27, 16. Now, notorious, for many of you already know, it's not a positive word. It literally means dishonorable and one with a tarnished character. Tarnished character, somebody who's dishonorable. He was a notorious criminal. According to John 18, 40, he was also a robber. He was a thief. Interestingly enough, when you read Scripture and you actually look into some church history, and you actually even read some secular history about the day from Josephus, you'll realize that there was a group of people that acted as insurrectionists called zealots. And you'll see that, that word actually referenced in different places in the New Testament. These were people that thought that the best way that they could deal with Rome is to by taking them over, by murdering them all, by killing them, and establishing a Jewish government right in the heart of Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. How many remember that even the disciples were confused about what Jesus was coming to do? Jesus, why don't you take over your kingdom? Why don't you sit in the throne of David and rule politically? And he's like, well, my kingdom's not of this world. And they're probably sitting there going, uh, John, can you explain that one to me? I didn't, I didn't quite understand what he said. Yeah, Thomas, I didn't get that either. Stop doubting, would you? <laughs> what do we do with that? 
How do we handle that? Interestingly enough, the Bible talks about two men that are on either side of Jesus at the crucifixion scene. Both are referred to as robbers, as thieves. I have a feeling that these were two people that were a part of Barabbas' gang, of insurrectionists who were called zealots. Why? How do I know that? Because you look back in, in history, and the Roman history, and you'll realize that thieves were never put on the cross to be crucified. They were flogged. Because thieves were considered a lower rank of, of criminality. People that were put on the cross, usually for the most part, were murderers. There were some other things that incorporated as well. But for the most part, thieves were never put on the cross. So here's what is interesting to me. Why would Pilate have put two thieves on the cross? Because they just weren't thieves. They were insurrectionists. They were zealots. They were people that were actually starting a political shift and trying to literally wrest away or, 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 or gather away the authority of Rome in Jerusalem. The fourth thing is this. He was a murderer. This is all we know about this man. He was a notorious prisoner. He was a robber. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. That's all we know. I don't know about you, but he doesn't have a good track record. He doesn't have a good track record. I've often wondered, why in the world does God interrupt the narrative, the story, and plop this guy named Barabbas in there? Why? What, what is it proving? What, what, what good is it? What story is he trying to tell? How many know that whatever God puts in the Bible, it's there for a reason? It's not just there because he thought, what a great name. I like that, guy, that guy's name, Barabbas, so we'll just throw him in the story. We'll get his 15 minutes of fame, and he's good to go. No, it had nothing to do with that. Everything that God has in the Word of God is strategically placed, led by the Holy Spirit, literally shared with those writers by the Holy Spirit to put in there. So Pilate stands on that stage. Jesus on his right. Barabbas on his left. One, a righteous prisoner. One, a rightful prisoner. One was the lawgiver. One was the lawbreaker. Then he asks probably one of the most famous questions during the crucifixion scene that I honestly believe in 2017 God is asking the same question of us today. Who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas? And Pilate's probably thinking to himself, okay, I don't want to be sleeping on the couch again tonight, so I'm going to try to listen to my wife in a very smooth, crafty kind of way. So what I'll do is I'll present them with two different options that are so polar opposite, it would be ludicrous for them to choose Barabbas. So I got a great plan. I'm going to put Barabbas up there, and they're nuts if they choose him. They put him up there, and he asked the question, who do you want? The Bible says they yelled out, Barabbas. Heartbreaking. As I was looking into this whole story, I, stu I literally stumbled across something that I have never seen before. I probably read it before, but I've never seen it like this before. I'm going to read the same account, the same story, but in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 27, or chapter 27, starting at verse 15. And I want you to catch this. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas 
or Jesus who's called the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Many of us may not know this, but back in those days, Jesus was one of the most famous names of a boy. That, Joseph, Judas, Jesus, they were all very, very famous names. Same way that David would be, Christopher, anything like that. In our day today, Jesus was one of the most popular names. So when Jesus came, he didn't pick a name that was not uncommon. He picked a name that was common. Kind of hard to find the significance of Jesus if everything about him was common, right? Until you experience what is uncommon about him. Amen? But here's what's interesting. The name Barabbas, the first part, Bar means son. The second part, Abbas, means of the father. So the name Barabbas means son of the father. So Pilate is standing up before them on that stage, and he's saying, do you want Jesus, capital S-O-N, of the father, or do you want Jesus, little s-O-N, of the father? Which one do you want? Can I say today that many Christians around the world today are still struggling with the same decision? Do you want the capital S son, the one that is all-powerful, Yes, he's all loving. Yes, he's almighty. But he's going to bring some change in your life. Yay! Or do you want Jesus, little s-o-n, of the Father? The one who won't get in your grill. As a matter of fact, Jesus Barabbas, Barabbas the criminal that was released, was completely indifferent with Jesus Christ, the son of Nazareth. He didn't even know him. Yet, as I, we saw, we had a bunch of young adults at our house on Friday night watching The Passion of the Christ, and what struck a chord in me, and it's still striking a chord in me, was Jesus' eyes when he looked at Peter after he denied him three times. When he looked at his mother Mary as he was about to fall down with the cross. When he looked at the apostle John, who was literally saying, John, take care of my mom. The eyes of Christ were penetrating book of Psalms, it literally says that the eye is the window to the soul. How many have ever had someone look right at you and you know because you're struggling with something in your life, you can't, look at, you can't make eye contact? You're like the one quick little look and then you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. How do I know my children are guilty? Ask me. Because they won't look at me in the eye. It's the easiest thing. Josiah? Yeah, Dad. But the same question is coming to us today. Same question. Who do you want? Which Jesus are you going to take? Which one? One Jesus was birthed in rebellion, Barabbas. One was birthed in reconciliation. The father disconnected from his children Jesus, can you reconcile them back to me? One, rebellious, murderous, insurrectionist, rebel, doesn't care about people. He just cares about power. Jesus didn't care about power. He cared about people. So he went to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have two choices. If we take Jesus Barabbas, then rebellion against God's heart and God's will is easy. If we take Jesus, 
of Nazareth, the capital S-O-N God. Then he says, reconciliation is non-negotiable. It's not an option. Restoration is not an option. Why? Because he paid the price. He paid the price. He's already gone ahead. How many are so thankful that when you're pursuing a dream or a purpose or a plan of God in your life that you can actually read books or listen to podcasts or, or connect with people who have already been there and done that and you can call them up and say, so how did you deal with this? And how did you deal with that? And, and how did you figure all that out? And they go, yeah, it's easy. Just do this, this, this. And you're like, whew. Jesus has already gone before us and shown us the way. When we're confronted with a circumstance that is not comfortable for us, two things happen. There's something in our hearts that either wants to rebel against the will of God or we reconcile our hearts to the will of God and say, God, I, can, I, can I be honest with you guys today? You know what some of the most amazing things that I've ever done in my life came with my knee shaking, my, my hand shaking, and I'm being scared out of my mind to do it, but I did it anyway. And it was in that place that God's grace came. And I saw supernatural breakthrough. Jesus Barabbas deserved his punishment. Deserved the cross. Deserved crucifixion. He deserved it. According to natural justice, he deserved it. Jesus didn't. Jesus healed people. Liberated people. Brought people back from the dead. That'd be a pretty good day. Jesus opened blind eyes. Jesus opened deaf ears. Jesus brought liberty where there was chaos. Jesus brought peace where there was confusion. That was Jesus. <laughs> Knowing all that, the crowd yelled out, Give us Barabbas. We want Jesus Barabbas, the little S-O-N of God. We're comfortable with that. We're not comfortable with that. Give me Barabbas. Barabbas looks, sees the Roman soldiers coming up to that stage. They unhook his chains and shackles and he walks free. And in the movie, uh, Passion of the Christ, we literally see him parading himself, pompous, arrogant, down those stairs. And people afraid of him because they knew even though they wanted him free over the other one, they were scared for their life suddenly. You saw fear in their eyes as he was walking by them because they knew what he did. And they knew what he was about because he was notorious. He had tarnished character. He was dishonorable. That's who he was then I've often thought to myself, what was Jesus thinking? In that moment, what was he thinking? What was going through his mind? And here's what I think. It's not in the Bible, but if you read Cameron's paraphrase, it may be in there. Let them have Barabbas. I got a bigger plan. Let them have what they want. 
because I have a trump card that's going to blow them away. Listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Then I thought about this. Who really was Barabbas? And as I've been thinking about this for the last six months, you know what I came to realize? Barabbas was me. Barabbas is you. Barabbas is us. We're the guy that treated him indifferently, standing right next to him. At times in our lives going through so many things that we just stand next to him, but we don't even, we don't even look to him. We don't even ask his opinion. Most of the time because we don't want to know what he's going to say because he knows what he's going to say. He's going to have to change us. And we're like, we don't want to change, Lord. What do we do? What do we do when we are Barabbas? What do we... What do we do when we have a whole list of things that we're afraid to recognize in front of Jesus? I honestly wonder what Barabbas was thinking as he was parading himself down those stairs. Off to freedom. Did he even at one moment think about, wow, that was really, really cool what that guy Jesus did for me, and I'm so glad. I should, I should probably thank him. Did that even hit him? I don't know. Do you know what has broken my heart as I've read this whole story and I've looked through the whole Bible to find anything about Barabbas? You know what we found out? We don't know what happened to him. There's no story in here that says, and he had a glorious encounter with Jesus Christ. And he started planting churches all across Asia. And 4.8 billion people came to Christ because of Barabbas. We don't know. There's no way, nowhere in the Bible where it actually says Barabbas ever understood the message of the cross. Nowhere does it say that he understood that Jesus paid the price for him personally. There was no mention of Jesus, Barabbas, the little son of God, having a revelation of Jesus, the big son of God. It's not in there. I would have loved to have found something in there on that. I would have just, I'm like... You know, then we can get all excited. Like, woo, Barabbas came to God. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, there was, there's no books in the New Testament. First Barabbas, second Barabbas, third Barabbas. It's not in there. Where he shares his tremendous wisdom. Well, what I realized is how to murder people uh, in, in order to take over the political scene. This is his book, First Barabbas. Second book was how to thieve and how to steal and how to rob. His third book was all about how to get people to think it was somebody else and not him. That's the books he wrote. And there was a whole bunch of zealots that read it and actually carried on his cause. But can I tell you something this morning? God loves Barabbas. God loves you. And God loves me. And half the days, I don't even understand why. But God, we were indifferent with you. Just give me your pain, son.
God, but we, we've sinned against you. Just give me your sin, son. But I've disappointed you. I said I was going to live for you, and then I just went off on my own and did my own thing. Just give me your disappointment, son. Do you know what has rocked my world in the last 20 years? Coming to, having my aha moment 20 years ago in some ways was easy because I was at the end of myself. How many know that when you get to the end of yourself, you don't really have much to turn to? And as a lifelong Leaf fan, that is never something I look to to help bring comfort in any way. But at, tw- at 22 years of age, I understood the mercy and the grace of a powerful God that loved me despite myself, despite my indifference, despite my apathy, despite my rebellion and my insurrection against His will and His ways. He loved me. But you know what I've struggled with for the last 20 years? is when I got a breakthrough in a particular area or in a, with a particular person or a particular thing. And I'll be honest with you this morning. It was forgiveness for me. I had a massive breakthrough of forgiveness in the Father's heart of God for my life 20 years ago. But you know where I've stumbled in the last 20 years a couple of times that really got me? is when I've been hurt and I live in unforgiveness. But here's the thought that I always land on. God, I'm, I'm ashamed to come to you because I disappointed you again. I had this incredible moment 20 years ago, and I shouldn't do that to you again. And you know what he's saying? Standing on that stage right beside Pilate, right beside us, right beside Barabbas, he's saying the same thing today as he did 2,000 years ago. Give me your regrets, son. Let me take them to the grave for you. Give me your disappointments. Give me your addictions. Give me your hurts and your hang-ups. Give them to me, son. Because I know what to do with them. But God, I, I don't know if I'm not going to mess up again after. It's okay. Give it to me, son. Give me your regrets. Give me those things that you still can't figure out, but I can. Give me those old hurts, those old wounds from when you were very young. Don't live in them anymore. Don't let them dictate to you what your future should be. Give me your future. What do we do with that? I honestly believe as Jesus was taking that long walk, the Bible says called the Via Della Rosa, the, the walkway to the to Calvary, the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. What a great place to die. I honestly believe, and I believe this day, every step of the way, he was looking back and he was looking side to side at those people he was walking by. Some of them were crying in agony because they saw their Lord and Savior about to die. Some of them were just hurling insults and and spitting on him and throwing things at him. And I believe every single step of the way down that pathway, every single painful step up the side of that hill, every single time he was whipped, every single time he had a nail driven into his physical body, he looked at us. Son, daughter, live your life. Because I've paid the price. Live for me. Don't, for, don't live for this guy called Jesus Barabbas. Live for Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? Let's stand this morning.
2,000 years ago, it was all about Jesus. Today, it's still all about Jesus. Tomorrow, it's still going to all be about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Through every challenge, through every circumstance, through every temptation, can I say something to you this morning? Jesus is enough. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.